Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Oscar Watch. I am your long-absent host, Stephen Buja. Alex Riviello is down with the flu this week, and we wish him a very speedy recovery, but the show must go on. So, once again, welcome back. We've been gone a little while. That's all on me. I apologize. It's not because we don't love you and don't want to talk about movies. It's just that my wife and I recently had our daughter, and we've been trying with more success than failure to make it all work. And boy, is it ever work. I think the little one is around here somewhere. Uh, anyways, it's good to be back here with you all. This will be a solo show, so well, I guess let's just get on with it. In the Heat of the Night. One, best picture for the year 1967. Obviously, that's why I'm talking about it. The film was directed by Norman Jewison, a Canadian filmmaker of some repute. He also directed other classic films, such as Moonstruck, Fiddler on the Roof, and the why wasn't this nominated for Best Picture, Rollerball. The man was nothing if not versatile in his choice of pictures. That he is Canadian lends In the Heat of the Night a certain outsider perspective. The film, while ostensibly a crime mystery, is about the lingering effects of Jim Crow in the still wildly racist South post-Civil Rights Act. Jewison undoubtedly was aware of the history of the region, but as an outsider, he was able to bring a slightly more measured tone to the proceedings. And now the big, big, big one. Best picture of the year. Somewhere out there, five tense, nervous producers. And from what I know of producers, they're biting each other's nails. To present the award, here's one of the fairest ladies of them all, Miss Julie Andrews. <laughs> Thank you. Before I read the nominations, Bob, may I say just a word? Well, it's getting late, Julie. I know, I know, but I did want to express the admiration for us all for the manner in which you've conducted this program tonight. Such ease, such wit, such... Um, Take uh, your time, Julie. But you, uh, you just told me to hurry, Bob. Well, well, keep going. I'll see if I can cut a commercial. <laughs> We've seen excerpts from the five films nominated for Best Picture. For the record, they are... Bonnie and Clyde, a Tatira Hiller production, Warner Brothers Seven Arts, Warren Beatty producer. Dr. Doolittle, Jack Productions, 20th Century Fox, Arthur P. Jacobs producer. The Graduate, a Mike Nichols, Lawrence Terman production, Embassy, Lawrence Terman producer. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Columbia, Stanley Kramer producer. And In the Heat of the Night, the Mirish Corporation production, United Artists, Walter Mirish, producer. And now for the best picture. May I have the envelope, please? Thank you. The winner is In the Heat of the Night, Walter Mirish. In the Heat of the Night took home five Oscars on a cold evening in April 1968. The scene was charged for this particular award. Similar to this year's ceremony, I think. Uh, the Oscars themselves had been postponed for two days due to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. just days before in Memphis. And while the awards were certainly counted and printed and ready to go long before then, the timing gave In the Heat of the Night a very poignant and well-timed win. Two cops, one black, one white, working together on a fellow cause. 
such things did not exist on such a high-profile stage at that time. Additionally, the film also gave Rod Steiger his one and only Best Actor Oscar, a well-deserved win, all, all told, and for a wonderful career up to that point. The film also picked up Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Editing, with work done by the great Hal Ashby, who would go on to direct several great classics of the 70s, including Shampoo, Coming Home, and, of course, Being There. The film was nominated for two additional awards, Sound Effects, and Best Director. However, Jewison would lose out to Mike Nichols for The Graduate. Oh, uh, fun fact. Sidney Poitier was the lead in two of the year's best-grossing films and two of the Academy Award nominees, and obviously the winner, and received precisely zero acting nominations, despite the great work he puts in both this and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Some things seem to never change. And it was not an easy year for In the Heat of the Night either. The world brought some heavy hitters. The aforementioned The Graduate, Bonnie and Clyde, which was celebrated at this year's Oscar ceremony. That's where we get, that's why Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were up there screwing up the uh, envelope, but that is a whole issue for another episode. Dr. Doolittle and the other Sidney Poitier vehicle, guess who's coming to dinner? And in addition, 1967 had some great non-Best Picture films too, like Cool Hand Luke, The Original Jungle Book, The Dirty Dozen, In Cold Blood, and Camelot, plus not one but two James Bond films in the form of You Only Live Twice, the actual James Bond movie starring Sean Connery, and Casino Royale, a sort of playful mock-up starring the great Peter Sellers. I believe it was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song at the time. So there is that. Take that, Chris Cornell. I don't think you got one. I mean, overall, 67 was a hell of a year, and we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I guess I'll just start talking about this movie and get us all out of here nice and quick. I got no wife. I got no kids. Boy, I got a town that... Don't want me. Oh, man. I got an air conditioner that I have to oil myself. Got a desk with a busted leg. And on top of that, I got this uh, place. Now, don't you think that'd drive a man to take a few drinks? In the Heat of the Night is a movie that captures the spirit of the era, mean-spirited, combative, prejudiced, yet somewhat hopeful for the future. If one man can come to an understanding with someone who is different than he, then maybe there's hope for all of us. For those of you who aren't familiar, it follows Virgil Tibbs, played by Sidney Poitier, a Philadelphia detective who gets caught up in a small-town murder mystery in Mississippi. The case is headed by the local sheriff, Bill Gillespie, played by Rod Steiger, who won an Academy Award, as a southern boy who comes to relate to the coming world just a little bit better. There's very little country left for these old men after all. The film is anchored by two incredible performances by Steiger and Poitier. Debating who delivers the better performance is immaterial. Both are incendiary, and each man proves the equal of the other, with all that entails. Tibbs is a cool, collected officer of the law. He's smart, the best investigator on the Philly police force. And it's clear he had to work twice as hard to earn half as much respect as Steiger and his precinct of misfit toys. 
Despite earning roughly $1,100 a week in 2017 money and wearing the sharpest suit of anyone within 100 miles, and even despite being a police officer, Tibbs is first, foremost, and forever a black man. We are introduced to him waiting at a train station where a cocksure deputy arrests him for the murder of a prominent businessman in the town for the very crime of being black. No search, no questioning, nothing. He's black, so therefore, he's obviously guilty. Steiger, to his credit at the beginning, at least hears Tibbs out and sorts through the mess and racism. Begrudgingly, he gets Tibbs to help out on the case. Being outclassed by this particular homicide, which relies on a lot of cutting edge, at the time at least, forensic skills, of which Tibbs is a master. It's a frigid relationship, one born of mutual need rather than mutual respect. And yet slowly, piece by piece, lead by lead, Steiger's Gillespie softens to Tibbs, and vice versa. His change is the most apparent. He's sort of the star, I suppose, as evidenced by an incredible scenes towards the end in which the two are in Gillespie's house and Gillespie admits to Tibbs that there are very few who have seen the inside of the place. It's a touching scene that is perfectly understated. The rest of the film is brimming with charge, a powder keg about to explode at any minute. Yet for a few brief minutes, the two men are not police officers, not hunters of a killer, but two men with an awful lot in common despite the gulf their skin color puts between them. And their goodbye at the train station at the very end is brief, very boy, as my wife would say, and utterly pitch perfect. There's not only professional respect, but personal happiness in knowing the other. I think at last we understand each other, Frodo Baggins, or something like that. I might be getting my movies mixed up a little bit. Let me understand this. You two came here to question me? Well, your... your attitudes, Mr. Endicott, your points of view are a matter of record. Some people, well, let us say the people who work for Mr. Colbert might reasonably regard you as the person least likely to mourn his passing. We were just trying to clarify some of the evidence. Was Mr. Colbert ever in this greenhouse, say, last night, about midnight? Gillespie? Yeah. You saw it. I saw it. Well, what are you going to do about it? One of the standout scenes, the one that got Poitier on board and would provoke reactions from audiences nationwide, was an encounter between Tibbs and Endicott played by Larry Gates, a rival businessman to the deceased. After accusatory remarks, Endicott slaps Tibbs, and Tibbs immediately slaps him right back. The audience at the time were shocked. Never before had a black man hit back, always cowed into inaction. But here, it was a slap heard around the world, and hundreds of years of quiet rage are released, or at least brought to the surface. The screenplay is not overly concerned with the central mystery of the film, which takes several dead-end twists and turns before arriving at a banal and ultimately unsatisfying conclusion. Of course it was who it was, after all. Where In the Heat of the Night excels is in the interactions between Poitier and the predominantly white town and how he wins some and loses some. Like Chiwetel Ejiofor in Twelve Years a Slave, decades later, Poitier is carrying the entire black experience in post-Jim Crow South with him. Aye, there is literally no one else in America at the time who could do such a thing. Poitier was the only bankable 
actor of of any of any color at the time. And of course, he handles himself utterly brilliantly. Some of the scenes work better as statements, such as the obligatory car chase scene through the countryside. Tibbs is running from a group of assholes who are chasing him for no real reason other than the, that the script calls for it. Yes, he's black. Yes, they're white. But there's a, it's a disconnect from a, uh, a, the mystery itself. And he gets into a brief standoff. It's a powerful scene, but one that has little to no effect on the plot in an otherwise tightly edited whodunit. Quincy Jones, he of Michael Jackson fame, provides a unique score to the film, blending in funk and soul into a surprisingly peppy soundtrack that clashes, yet works, with the darker themes of the movie. And the inestimable Ray Charles provides us with the title song, prompting us all to go, why don't they make more theme songs with the actual title of the movie in them anymore? Eh, some mysteries may never be solved. Well, you're pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil? Virgil, that's a funny name, but it comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs! Well, Mr. Wood, take Mr. Tibbs, take him down to the depot, and I mean boy like now. No one can really ever guess what will or will not enter into the pop culture lexicon. When asked what people called him in Philly, Poitier's response is, they call me Mr. Tibbs. And it became something of a pop culture icon. Ever wonder why Puma says they call me Mr. Pig in The Lion King? That's why. In fact, the line was so iconic that the first of the film's two sequels was actually named They Call Me Mr. Tibbs and was released in 1970 starring Poitier. He would reprise the role for a third and final time in the organization the very next year. Neither film was as successful or as well-reviewed as its uh, predecessor. And uh, But then, that's not the end of In the Heat of the Night, in the late 1980s and early 90s, they turn, turned the movie into a TV show. In the Heat of the Night starred Carol O'Connor as Chief Gillespie and Harold Rollins as Tibbs, and ran for seven seasons. In the Heat of the Night is a fine film. Parts of it have not aged well, though. The mystery is about what you might find on literally any CBS procedural any day of the week. What endures, however, is the racial commentary, which is both a blessing and a curse. A blessing because the understanding the two men come to is important. A curse because, damn it, it's 2017 and why are we still having this conversation? Now, the big question that we always ask here on Oscar Watch, does it deserve the title Best Picture? I do have my doubts. The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde have doubtlessly lived longer in the minds of the public. Bonnie and Clyde is star-crossed, violent fairy tale of lovers. The Graduate is Dustin Hoffman at uh, his best. Mike Nichols at his best. Are you trying to, Mrs. Robinson, are you trying to seduce me? It's the whole bunch of icons right there. But sometimes, you know, the Academy goes for the relevant at-the-moment prize, and undoubtedly in the heat of the night was the right picture for the right time. You could make the argument, the same argument that guess, who, guess who's coming to dinner also falls into that category, but this definitely has a lot going for it. And after all, the award was for the best picture of 1967, not the best picture of all time. And that about wraps it up for this week's episode of Oscar Watch. I know it was a little bit of a short one, uh, a little different. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening and entertaining me while I entertained you. 
If you like what you hear, if you miss Alex a whole lot, you can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com and find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at oscarwatchpod. We have a very active Facebook page that we would love you to be a part of, so find us there. Next week, Alex should be back, and we will be joined by a very special guest to discuss the 2016 Best Picture winner. Yes, we are going very current. Moonlight. And all of the drama that that was surrounded by, and plus it also seems relevant. Bonnie and Clyde came out that you know came out in 1967. Bonnie and Clyde came out and presented Moonlight, sort of, with the Best Picture award, some 50 years later. So without further ado, thank you for listening, and as always, folks. Until next time, we will see you on the red carpet. Take care.